0: Chapter 8 of The Light Princess by George MacDonald This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simone Tony. Try a Drop of Water Perhaps the best thing for the princess would have been to fall in love. But how a princess who had no gravity could fall into anything is a difficulty. Perhaps THE difficulty. As for her own feelings on the subject, she did not even know that there was such a beehive of honey and stings to be fallen into. But now I come to mention another curious fact about her. The palace was built on the shores of the loveliest lake in the world, and the princess loved this lake more than father or mother. The root of this preference, no doubt, although the princess did not recognize it as such, was that the moment she got into it, she recovered the natural right of which she had been so wickedly deprived, namely, gravity. Whether this was owing to the fact that water had been employed as the means of conveying the injury, I do not know, but it is certain that she could swim and dive like the duck that her old nurse said she was. The manner in which this alleviation of her misfortune was discovered was as follows. One summer evening, during the carnival of the country, she had been taken upon the lake by the king and queen in the royal barge. They were accompanied by many of the courtiers in a fleet of little boats. In the middle of the lake she wanted to get into the lord chancellor's barge, for his daughter, who was a great favorite with her, was in it with her father. Now, though, the old king rarely condescended to make light of his misfortune, yet, Happening on this occasion to be in a particularly good humor, as the barges approached each other, he caught up the princess to throw her into the chancellor's barge. He lost his balance, however, and dropping into the bottom of the barge, lost his hold of his daughter, not, however, before imparting to her the downward tendency of his own person, though in a somewhat different direction, for as the king fell into the boat, she fell into the water. With a burst of delighted laughter, she disappeared in the lake. A cry of horror ascended from the boats. They had never seen the princess go down before. Half the men were underwater in a moment, but they had all, one after another, come up to the surface again for breath, when tinkle, tinkle, babble, and gush came the princess's laugh over the water from far away. There she was, swimming like a swan. Nor would she come out for king or queen, chancellor or daughter. She was perfectly obstinate. But at the same time, she seemed more sedate than usual. Perhaps that was because a great pleasure spoils laughing. At all events, after this, the passion of her life was to get into the water, and she was always the better behaved and the more beautiful the more she had of it. Summer and winter, it was quite the same. Only she could not stay so long in the water when they had to break the ice to let her in. Any day, from morning till evening, in summer, she might be described—a streak of white in the blue water, lying as still as the shadow of a cloud, or shooting along like a dolphin, disappearing and coming up again far off, just where one did not expect her. She would have been in the lake of a night too. If she could have had her way, for the balcony of her window overhung a deep pool in it, and though a shallow, reedy passage she could have swum out into the wide, wet water, and no one would have been any the wiser. Indeed, when she happened to wake in the moonlight, she could have hardly resist the temptation. But there was a sad difficulty of getting into it. She had as great a dread of the air as some children have of the water, for the slightest gust of wind would blow her away, and the gust might arise in the stillest moment. And if she gave herself a push towards the water and just failed of reaching it, her situation would be dreadfully awkward, irrespective of the wind. For at best, there she would have to remain, suspended in her nightgown, till she was seen and angled for by someone from the window. if I had my gravity, thought she, contemplating the water, I would flash off this balcony like a long white seabird, headlong into the darling wetness. Hi-ho! This was the only consideration that made her wish to be like other people another reason for her being fond of the water was that in it alone she enjoyed any freedom for she could not walk out without a cortege consisting in part of a troop of light horse for fear of the liberties which the wind might take with her and the king grew more apprehensive with increasing years till at last he would not allow her to walk abroad at all with some twenty silken cords fastened to as many parts of her dress and held by twenty noblemen of course horseback was out of the question but she bade good-bye to all this ceremony when she got into the water and so remarkable words' effects upon her, especially in restoring her for the time to the ordinary human gravity, that Humdrum and Kopykek agreed in recommending the king to bury her alive for three years, in the hope that, as the water did her so much good, the earth would do her yet more. But the king had some vulgar prejudices against the experiment and would not give his consent. Foiled in this, they yet agreed in another recommendation, which, seeing that one imported his opinions from China and the other from Tibet, was very remarkable indeed. They argued that, if water of external origin and application could be so efficacious, water from a deeper source might work a perfect cure. In short, that if the poor afflicted princess could by any means be made to cry, she might recover her lost gravity. But how was this to be brought about? Therein lay all the difficulty, to meet which the philosophers were not wise enough. To make the princess cry was as impossible as to make her way. They sent for a professional beggar, commanded him to prepare his most touching oracle of woe, helped him out of the court charade box to whatever he wanted for dressing up, and promised great rewards in the event of his success. But it was all in vain. She listened to the mendicant's artist's story and gazed at his marvelous makeup till she could contain herself no longer and went into the most undignified contortions for relief, shrieking, positively screeching with laughter. When she had little recovered herself, she ordered her attendants to drive him away and not give him a single copper, whereupon his look of mortified discomfiture wrought her punishment and his revenge, for it sent her into violent hysterics, from which she was with difficulty recovered. But so anxious was the king that the suggestion should have a fair trial, that he put himself in a rage one day, and rushing up to her room gave her an awful whipping, yet not a tear would flow. She looked grave, and her laughing sounded uncommonly like screaming. That was all. The good old tyrant, though he put on his best gold spectacles to look, Could not discover the smallest cloud in the serene blue of her eyes. End of chapter eight. Recording by Simone Tony.